This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. I'm Zach Albetta, and this week I'm talking with Nasheed Waits. Nasheed is a New York native with a New York jazz resume highlighted by tours and recordings with Antonio Hart, Jackie McLean, Dave Douglas, Steve Coleman, Greg Osby, the Mingus Big Band, Eddie Gomez, many, many others. Most recently, he has been a part of bassist Christian McBride's New John Project, which just released its second record. We would appreciate your support on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash working drummer and a donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive content from our former guests. Think of this as professional development for drummers, all useful and actionable lessons for the working pro. We're populating new content regularly and as little as $1 a month gets you access to all of it. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can also make a one-time donation through PayPal. There are links for both on our homepage at workingdrummer.net. While you're there, you can learn more about this episode and check out our archive of over 300 episodes. Also, please subscribe to Working Drummer Podcast on your platform of choice. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Lastly, however you listen, please leave us a rating and review. This helps new listeners find us. So Nasheed is the son of Freddie Waits, who was an incredibly accomplished New York drummer and percussionist, played with Ella Fitzgerald, Stevie Wonder, McCoy Tyner, Sonny Rollins, uh, and many more. Uh, included among Freddie's friends were Max Roach and Michael Carvin, who stepped in to mentor Nasheed when Freddie died. So it was really interesting to hear about his experience with those guys, uh, especially since I have some experience with Carvin as well. So let's get to this and much more with Nasheed Waits. You're in Oakland with Christian right now? Yes. You guys playing at Yoshi's or what? Yeah, exactly. Here in Jack London Square. And are you on a, a run of dates, or is this just kind of a one-off flyout? We have another gig at Irvine tomorrow night, and then we go back, or everybody goes to wherever they're going, and then we play again next weekend in New Orleans, and then after that in Scottsdale, and then we go to Japan. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So, and then we had. So it's been kind of a grouping of of gigs over the last few months. We had like a kind of a U.S. run in uh, March into April, and then we did Dizzy's for a week, and then it's kind of been like you know, then we have you know these gigs, you know. So it's been you know, yeah, this has been. Uh, it's kind of like part of a run in a way. Yeah. Right. And this um. This recent record that that y'all have released is the the second one with this group with this project, right? Right. Cool. And the the title of the project, like the name of the group, New John, J A W N. I was not hip to this word before, but yeah, it's, I, a, like, it's I, a Philly, it's a Philly thing. Right. I did a little digging, and it's like very much a Philly thing. And like, yeah. <laughs> I saw a funny thing that was like, uh, you know, uh, the word John can be used to refer to any noun right yeah it's just exactly like... <laughs> exactly exactly it could be a chair it could be a, a person you know it's like you right know. right yeah that john that john yeah. right there person place a thing person place a thing exactly <laughs> just yeah exactly is it 
is it from is it from the word joint like referring to something as a joint uh i think it, it i think they are interchangeable you know so i don't know okay, you know yeah. like in different regions like in new york city they, they they might say yo that's that joint over there like we've said that before you know that's part of right this is the, a spike the, uh, lee joint <laughs> yeah exactly it's part of, exactly exactly you know what i'm saying yo that, you know talking about the club clubs all like yo you know the joint down the block you know yeah so yeah. It's, it's it's you know that joint over there you could be talking about a delicatessen or something so i mean it's yeah it is it is it's, it's very much like that you know slang that is that's, that that can that is very descriptive yet non-descriptive <laughs> right <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, so had had you had you played very much with uh christian before doing this group no actually no we we i think we had it's funny i i I recounted a time when we were in we were both in paris doing different things and i stopped by la villa there used to be a club in uh the saint-germain in this hotel called la villa like near saint-germain de de prayer the pre <laughs> in, in Paris and um and I think he was working there with somebody I can't remember but I was doing something with somebody somewhere else I think I was with Antonio Hart or something like that I can't remember but um Anthony Wanzi I think was there yeah Anthony Wanzi was there and uh and then we just played like a couple of tunes just it just and then I, and this was like now we're talking like 25 years ago, something like that, just briefly. Yeah. And then we did a project with um, Hamia Blewett and Nikki Giovanni and Jason Moran and James Carter um, for uh, Don Pullins at, at his, um, in Rich, is that Richmond, Virginia? Is that Richmond? I feel like it is. Yeah, and we, we did, we did, we did something there. But we only played like one. We played like two gigs, like at a school and then one concert. So we right. hadn't played. We hadn't played much at all, actually. So when he's sort of conceiving of this new group, like, d- does he just call you out of the blue and say, "I've, I've, I want to do this new project, and I want you to be my drummer for it." I. Kind of, but I think, you know, I think it might have even been that somebody else was supposed to do it even before me. Mm-hmm. And then that didn't work out or something. And then... Man, how many how many times, like... Yeah. How many yeah, times it's, on it's, the podcast? We, we talk yeah. about this all the time, how, like, you know, a lot of times somebody, somebody's main gig or the thing that they're best known for or the thing that made them a ton of money or something, like, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, plan A didn't work out and they were plan B. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 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 I mean, there's, it's, it's often it's often like that. Like, you know, there are a lot of interchangeable parts you know that that happen within within our within our um, business so i mean yep. a lot of times you find yourself like cross-sectioning with a, with a lot of other drummers you know like yep. me and you know like you're always coming back and forth between you know harland and and gilmore and you know tyshawn and everybody <laughs> you know coming everybody like oh you i had to oh i couldn't do that one because i did this one and then you wanted and then this guy's do it you know we all 
are always covering for or Blake, you know, Blake's always coming like, yo, man, can you can you help me out? You know, we're always like, yo, you're gonna be over. Or where are you at? <laughs> are you in Europe? Right. Are you in Europe that second week? Oh yeah, man, because I can't, you know, we're always trying it's always trying to work that type of thing. I'm with Hutch, you know, with Hutch, people move overseas yep. and it becomes like, oh, you're overseas, G? Yeah, call Hutch, because he might be able to, you know, if it's if it's something with the people that we are that we're all kind of a part of a community. Yep. Um, so it, it kind of works like that, but um, but I don't know exactly what was on his his mind and whatnot in terms of all the. But I I think it was kind of like that, and then he and I was there. I think I was playing at the Vanguard the week previous to that week with Jason Moran and Taj because mm-hmm. we play every every week of Thanksgiving at the Vanguard now for for quite some time. And I think Christian's week was after that. And he was like, yo, you, and I was like, yeah, yeah, it'll be great. You know, I was like, this works perfect. You know, mm-hmm. end of the year, you know, right at the crib, you know, cause I live in the village too. Right. Okay. In New York. So that, that worked, that worked nicely. And yeah. it was a, it was a, a auspicious beginning. <laughs> <laughs> auspicious, unexpected beginning. How did this start? musically like when this group sort of first got in a room together did you know did christian have uh, a list of tunes or you know new compositions that he wanted to apply yeah 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 he had i mean it was he was at the big you know like i said it kind of came together like that so there wasn't a lot of preparation i guess we rehearsed maybe i think we may have rehearsed once maybe or something like that before and but it was but it was a week at the Vanguard. So since it was the week at the Vanguard, we were gonna have a week to kind of you know to get familiar with each other, um, and um, so yeah, he he came he came with a with a bunch of music and then he asked everybody to bring music. He was like, if you have any, I think that's been at the at the center of the experience for everybody he's uh opened it up to everybody bringing in or encouraged everybody to bring in music he was like bring in music we'll check it out we'll play it you know we'll check it out and see how it works so everybody brought in some some music to to the rehearsal and then we you know went over the stuff and we were like all right you know we played probably some things and he had recorded before maybe or some other things that had worked in me and then we you know played that week Right. I, I think it's a great way to, you know, lead a band or, or make a record or just kind of head up any kind of project where, you know, sometimes it is it is very specific and very prescriptive and a, a leader has, um, you know, a, a very clear idea of like right. what they want to do. Right. But a lot of times it's like, you know, I, I like these personalities. Let me just get these personalities in a room with this music and see right. what happens. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's a a, a, a large component of, of of most good band experiences. Um, yeah, and not everybody is is an is an incredible composer, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, Christian, I like Christian's uh, songs. He's, I think, he's a great composer. Um, Jason's, you know, Moran's another. I'm using this as, and putting it in context. Like Jason's a great composer, but rarely do we play a set of music where we just play his tunes. You know, he's written a lot of music, but I think he wants that. He he wants to get them flavors from different places. And when you encourage people in the band to bring in music, it, it kind of it it makes them vested in a different type of way. Yeah, as well. Totally. You know, like more not more dedicated, but even more dedicated when you're getting an opportunity to showcase some of your. Um, 
you know, some of your compositional, and, and you know, it just, it just, it just, it, it makes you more, it makes you want to be more involved in in the, in the work, right? So it's definitely a way to kind of bring people in. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other uh, sort of unique aspect of this group is that it's a it's a cordless quartet, meaning no guitar or keys. It's just like uh, drums, bass, trumpet, and sax. Um, and personally, I I have not been crazy about playing in cordless groups. Like I I just kind of like the, <laughs> the secure you know the security blanket or the the connection or yeah. whatever you want to call it of, of yeah. you know that that chordal player. Um, right. How much had you done that before this group, and and what was your comfort level with it, and and what's your uh, feeling for it now? I don't know if I had played or had worked a lot in that particular uh, configuration, but I feel like I had done a decent amount of work with with court, you know, without piano or guitar, or vibraphone or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess my question it, implies that you would approach it mm-hmm. differently, but that I mean that's not necessarily true. Do you think of it as a different approach? I to a to a degree, yeah. I, I don't know if it's an approach necessarily, but maybe kind of like it 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 does kind of manufacture some different responsibilities, maybe, and and mm-hmm. uh, and responses from Christian or everybody. You know, everybody really, because because there isn't that chordal instrument, it, it makes you have to have to compensate for that in a way, in a, in a way. But then there's also a a, a sense of not even having it think, thinking of it as missing something, but but harmonically it is. It, it, there is something that is. I don't. I don't want to say missing, but you know, you have more options. But then it also becomes, you know, sometimes it can be more challenging to navigate certain things when you don't have that p- piano right. and or microphone. So it does, in a sense, dictate maybe material. Or things like that, you know, things that are going to be effective, you know. Whereas, if you have a certain type of player that has a certain type of movement or something like that, that's not going to be able to be captured uh, by the bass, <laughs> you know, exclusively. Mm-hmm. You know, then I mean, he can do that and whatnot, but just you know, in a way that's 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 going to be compelling uh, for him and for for the. The soloist doesn't listen, um, so that it does have an, an effect on, on that. I think maybe more, more so than what you're thinking about when you're playing. But I think it kind of gives you a little bit more latitude um, because you don't have that other person. So maybe you find yourself doing a little bit more than you yeah. would, it, you know, trying to indicate certain turnarounds and certain things of that nature or whatnot. Whereas you, you know, that's what I'm. That's what I meant by responsibility. Because you kind of have to be like, you know, you, 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 you're, we're all challenging each other, but we also want to be uh, informative to each other too. Like this is where we are. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is, yeah. This is this is where this is what's happening in you know, the bridge. Is you know things of that nature. Yep. You know, I, I like the words latitude and responsibility because mm-hmm. though like those are two sides of the same coin, right? Yeah. Like if right. if the, if right. this space, like you said, if this voice is sort of quote unquote missing from the music um 
you know, ev- everybody has latitude to fill that space in, you know, in whatever way, but everybody has a responsibility to fill that space in a musical way. And it's not just, you know, sort of running around the text. Yeah, and, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, what have you learned about, um, what have you learned playing with Christian? Cause he's, he's just an iconic bass player. Um, and I mean, at this point, I think he's sort of, uh, graduating from, you know, just being known as a bassist to getting up into sort of the, the, the Winton Herbie, uh, territory yeah. of being like right. a musical cultural ambassador. Um, yeah. Yeah, so what's what's is. the what's the experience of you know not only playing with him like on the ground but just sort of larger concepts of of jazz and culture? Uh, I mean, I have a great amount of respect uh, for him and, and admiration for him because he's you know he's obviously put in some serious work and it's continuing to work. I mean, he's he's a you know he's like the James Brown of the of the. Uh, of 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 our of our world of what our heart is working because he's all he's doing some he's he's doing so many activities you know and well yeah. like you know it's never like he's mailing it in he's always like well studied I've listened to some of his you know NPR podcasts and things I'm like wow it's like incredibly well researched he's always I mean just on, on that tip you know he's done a big band thing I was like wow that's not incredible I mean everything that I've, that I've witnessed that I haven't even yeah. been a part of has all has been a of high of high quality, you know, and high integrity, uh, meaningful uh, projects and so forth. So, so I mean, he's the perfect person to be to be an ambassador for the culture and, and the music because he, um, <clears throat> you know, he's um, he's 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 put himself. He's and and, and another thing is that he's also worked with all the masters <laughs> you know right. what I'm saying? so i mean he's right. putting all that time you know you know from the all these people that he's that he's had the opportunity to to, to record and work with and travel with you know from the, everybody you know it's it's been that that is that's what the culture is about it's about you you can't you can't you can't really get the information from a book from a textbook or you have to be in it and he yep. has he has earned his stripes you know, tenfold in, in that matter, because mm-hmm. he's 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 hit with everybody. <laughs> you know, yes. you yes. know, Mr. Rollins, Mr. Hubbard, you know, all these people, Mill Jackson. I mean, you know, just all the, all those heroes. You know, from for them. You know, it's like the like how Roy Haynes played with you know everybody from Louis Armstrong to Lester Young and getting the Pat Metheny and you know everybody else and Train. Yeah. You know, he's kind of like in that in the in that same breath right. with his with his experience. And then also on the other, then there were James Brown, and you know, I mean, it's 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 intense to, to think about the the uh, the amount of stuff he's already accumulated within yeah. his uh, within the, within his time on Earth. But he's but he's also just, I mean, just on the bandstand, it's been, you know, his musicianship is is impeccable. Mm-hmm. You know, his it's very <laughs> he's he's like really like just so well prepared you know mm-hmm. like so well prepared and just but then creative too not like in a in a like in a clinical way but just like you know just just tight and which is which makes everybody else kind of step their thing up too even though everybody in their own right are, are incredible musicians but i don't know if everybody has that type of um consistency yeah. <laughs> like his consistency is like you know he's <laughs> on it regardless what the instrument is what the conditions are what his health is you know his stuff be like 
Like, yeah, high level. That's, I think that's one of the most challenging aspects of, of being a musician. Like no matter what instrument you play or no matter what genre you're in, um, you know, per- performing at a high level is, you know, hard enough to achieve. That takes a lot of practice and a lot of work, but performing at, at you know, that high level consistently is sort of the, the next level of it. And it's, it's yeah. something that, that I'm thinking about a lot these days in, in this gig that I'm doing. Um, and you know, if you see somebody, if you see somebody like Christian one time, um, you're like, Oh my God, he's, he's incredible. Amazing. But then if you see him multiple times, it sets in that it's like, Oh, he's this good all the time. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. My man. <laughs> like, it's just like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 He's, he's, he's up, he's up in that category. Of, of of musician, you right. know. So and it, it, it's and it's it's a challenge in in that sense. But but it's also like you know to to all the great musicians that I know. Because my father was a musician, I had an opportunity to be in the presence of of some of these great um, men and women, and there was always a healthy sense of you know competition or ego. You know, but but expressed in a really good way. Like you didn't want to be shamed or or or, or like punked out. You know what I'm saying? On yeah, the yeah. It was like that's the last thing you want. You know what I mean? So it it makes you you know to be be that much more attentive to your own your own side of the of the coin. Your dad was uh, Freddie Waits. A uh, great percussionist and drummer in New York, and played with, you know, kind of everybody <laughs> at one point or another, right? Yeah, yeah. So you you grew up in this environment. You grew up in this community, um, not just in terms of you know the jazz community, but the the New York community. Um, so yeah, I mean, just talk about how you know your your dad and that community kind of shaped you as a musician from a young age. Uh, in, in every way possible, you know, in every way possible. I mean, he was my first influence and hero and everything just as a person. But then as far as the drums and the instrument uh, came and the music and the culture, he was very um, dedicated to that as, as well. Um, and I just saw that by the way he, he lived his life and the way he... he um, interacted with his you know peers and with everybody else and, and then the type of respect that he got in return even after mm-hmm. he passed away i was 19 years old and the type of feeling and reception that i got from the people in the community was like you know everybody was very supportive mm-hmm. and that was indicative of the type of person that he was within the yeah. community uh and, and so i mean he he always expressed to me um the importance of understanding that people had made sacrifices in order for uh, him and then me and whoever else to be able to um, express themselves in, in the music and that you had to respect that. So, I mean, it was always about having a good time, enjoying yourself. But then there was like that, that word comes back again. There was a responsibility <laughs> that you had. Yeah. And this was something that he like imparted to me when I was young, you know, maybe around 10, 11 years old. I remember doing a concert and, uh, 
my elementary school graduation. And uh, I was playing a concert, and I think I was joking around on the stage, you know, doing something, you know, like, you know, kids, kid stuff. Yeah. But while we were playing, and uh, after the concert, you know, he pulled me inside and basically told me that, you know, what I, you know, in essence of what I had just said, you know, in terms of like, you know, have a good time and everything, but there's been too many people that have sacrificed you for you to have this opportunity, so don't take that lightly, mm-hmm. you know. And that stuck with me, even even from that point. As I was like, "Oh, okay, this is <laughs> this is like a ser- you know, this is there's a there's a seriousness to it, you know." Yeah, yeah, there's, yeah. There's a, there's a very, and then everybody that I interacted with after that reinforced that because you know, like Max Roach was my godfather. I got a chance to spend a lot of time with him after my father passed. He was very, um, you know, like a like a godfather, really. But you know, I spent yeah. like quite a bit of time with him, roading, and then he was kind enough not even kind enough you know he put me in some situations you know well early playing and touring situations you know that i wouldn't have been exposed to had i not been in his presence but he was like okay you know i think you're, you're you can do it you know if you you know if you if you can you can handle it go ahead and this is the opportunity so yeah um yeah, yeah i got a chance to play with um boom and got a chance to play with mario bowser and stuff like that I mean, this was like early you know these are some of my yeah. first some of my first gigs yeah. So I mean, I, talk about somebody who sort of embodies the um, the 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 seriousness and the responsibility of exactly. the legacy. Exactly, exactly, um, exactly. And I think you know when 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 people, um, especially non jazz musicians, I think some some people think jazz musicians take their shit too seriously, and and I think that can definitely happen. But you you talk about this balance between like have a good time, express yourself, have fun. That's what this is for, but take it seriously. Like I, th- I think if you go too far in either direction, the, the music and the audience's experience. Right, 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 right. No, exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's, you know, um, I mean, but my father was a very serious person, even though he had a great, he liked to have a good time, but like that, mm-hmm. there was always an undercurrent. Like even as a child, it was like, you know, it was serious. <laughs> like he was serious, you know, like he was strict, you know, like usually you think of musicians, you're like, okay, they're pretty free. Yeah. It wasn't like that in my house. Like, it was like, it was like really, you know? Um, and then I studied with Michael Carvin and he was the same way, you know, like all these people were like very serious. Okay. Like, I want to talk to you about Carvin. Cause I have, uh, I have some, ex- I have some experience with Carvin. Um, hardcore, hardcore, dude. Cats, you know, <laughs> you know but this is what it was like. So it wasn't, it, it, and that was good for me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like some people, like they can't, they can't process it or that's not a, a good way for them to experience stuff. But for me, it was very good. And it was because, and also as a, as a, as a black man, especially, it was important because it is serious out here. I mean, you see how serious it is that as soon as you step out your door, yep. you have yep. to have your wits about you. Because there are a lot of uh, because of the environment that we live in, you know, you are being targeted. So if you don't mm-hmm. know the the uh, forces that are that are uh, pushing on you, then then you're um, then you're at a disadvantage, you yeah. know. And the, yeah. and they knew that they knew that. My father grew up in Jackson, Mississippi, you know. So he grew up in Jackson, yeah. went to Detroit, and then moved to New York. So he was very very well aware of that. You know, Max was very, he was from North Carolina, you know, came to, so they were well aware of that uh, Michael Carver was from Texas, came, you know what I'm saying? So they understood yeah, and, that. And 
Carvin was, uh, is a Vietnam vet. So yeah, that's that what I'm saying. So they got all layer. that. They got all that. Exactly. Yeah. They got all that happening. So, I mean, you, you know, there was always that, that, um, you know, and, but, but yet, and still they were like, have a great time with your life. Enjoy yourself, but have your wits about you and know what's, yep. know what you're doing and why you're doing it. Right. You know, that, that was important. I went to grad school in Kansas City uh, at the mm-hmm. University of Missouri, Kansas City, where Bobby Watson ran the jazz department. Right. Um, and so he and Carvin are friends, and he would bring Carvin in a, a couple times a year, like once a semester, to work with the big band and teach some drum lessons and just like be around for a week. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I took some lessons with Carvin and and you know got some of <laughs> got some I got some of Carvin <laughs> in in grad school and man yeah. they 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 only made one of that guy you ain't lying you ain't lying you're not lying you're not lying um, so like at at what point in your uh you know career or journey did um did you start studying with Carvin and you know what are what are some of the things you you took away from him drum wise or otherwise because i you know when i think about carvin i don't really think about anything on the drums i think about bigger concepts that i learned from right him. right um, right i mean and I, he, I know he he will get into the weeds of the drums and like tear your shit yeah, apart yeah yeah i mean he's you know another a great he's a great teacher because mm-hmm. he's like a, a griot and a serum that says, and like a psychotherapist, like a psychoanalyst, like in terms yeah. of the way that he can, in terms of the way he can read people, you know what I'm saying? Yes. Like he, he can, like you can come to him and he can kind of know what you need. Let me put it like that. Not everybody yeah. needs the same thing presented in the same way. And I feel like he knows how to do that. Not every teacher knows how to do that. Most teachers have a, a per, kind of prescribed way that they go about, or they have a set of information that they give you, like, here's that information. Here's that information. But he has like he had so many different types of students and everybody had a different way that he, you know, that he was able to kind of help them unlock those doors. Because that's what mm-hmm. teachers are doing. They're trying to give, you know, the student, you know, access to, to, to being able to unlock some doors. But you can't unlock it for the student. You can just give them some of the information so that they can unlock it themselves. That's mm-hmm. that's the way I equate it, right? And he was, uh, I mean, he he was a contemporary of my father. So a lot of the bands that my father, you know, played and he played it like after him, you know, like after my father, you know, with Freddie, him and like they split, you know, they switched or when Andrew Hill, my father played with him and then he played with Andrew Hill. You know, they did that mm-hmm. a lot with a lot of people. Um, he was teaching my best friend, Eric McPherson, I, I grew up with Eric McPherson, another incredible drummer, and, and Abraham Burton. We all lived in the same neighborhood. And uh, Eric was studying with Michael from when he was in high school. And I was, I wasn't, when I went to high school, I wasn't studying any music. So, and then in, early in college, I wasn't studying either. So when my father passed away, I moved back to New York City from Atlanta. And I was, um, and I was kind of just trying to find myself. I didn't know what I was going to be doing necessarily. And uh, and then I was kind of, I was hanging out with Eric and Abraham and all these different, 
you know, whatever spots they were hanging out with. And then I started, I got into it. I was like, okay, I think I'm going to start playing. You know, cause I, I had played as a younger person, but I never really knew how to read. And I never, I didn't go to music school. So if somebody was saying like blues, I didn't know what that meant. You know, it was like rhythm. Yeah. Changes. I was like, what is that? I was like, you know, right. that rhythm. Yeah. Can I get a, you know, I was like, I had no idea. So, you know, boss, so I was like, I, you know, I had nothing. So, but I knew music just from being around it. And I had right. played the drums a, a lot just as a child. I, I played the drums. I had a drum set all the way up until when I was in high school. And I still, we still had, you know, instruments. My father had a studio and stuff. So even after he passed, we still had the studio. And Eric and Abraham were down there and I was there. So, I mean, and all his instruments were there. So it was kind of just calling me to get yeah. back into it. I got back into yeah. it. And then I was like, I need to learn what's happening. Eric was like, go to, go to Michael. And he was, mm. man, he was a, 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 a saint because I didn't really, you know, it was never about money. He didn't really charge me any loot, really. You know, I went wow. to college. I went to LIU and they, you know, gave him a little bit of money, but it wasn't really what he was charging. You know, it was basically like he just looked out for me for free, yeah. really. Yeah. And, uh, and took a lot of hours you know, to, to look after us. That's what I'm saying. It was the community after my father left the planet, the community of people, along with my family, I have a very close family and, and they were close, you know, uh, in proximity as well. But mm -hmm. the, the community of musicians was really supportive, you know, Billy yeah. Hart, Jack, DJ Net, these were other people too that were close to my father that were like there, you know, but Michael wow. was like hands on uh, <laughs> the most because I was with him um you know uh, every week <laughs> going to those yeah. lessons so they're keeping eyes on me max you know max was like i got you so it was like those were the people that 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 uh were, were like my safety net you know and i and i i didn't realize how fortunate i was until you know much later mm -hmm. <laughs> you know i didn't realize how rare that was because i grew up in it you know these were the people that were around all the time my, my father and max were so close he was like a mentor and a friend and you know like a, yeah. you know, it was like a family member. I went to high school with his um, two daughters. You know, I went. To, I took one of his daughters to the prom. I mean, you know, we're like family, like that. <laughs> so I mean, how did that like, go? <laughs> that's, 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 that's completely fine. We're like that's like my sister now. You know, that's like her yeah, and her yeah. sister, are like are like my sisters. And you know, it's it's like true true family, true family. With that, I didn't realize how, like I said, how rare and how you know, instrumental these people were in the evolution of the of the music and just what that meant in terms of uh, you know, culture in this in this country and around the world until I started doing it. And I was like, Oh, I okay. <laughs> I didn't even know yeah. that these that these my father, you know, Michael, Max, these Dr. Fred King was somebody <laughs> that people don't hear a lot about his name, but he was a member of Boom Boom Two, great percussionist who worked with uh Pablo Casals in the um, orchestra down in Puerto Rico. And yeah, yeah. Um, and he was like a, a renaissance man, activist, you know, worked with Paul Robeson on, on, on different uh, projects. It was very, you know, incredible. And he was somebody who was like a master healer. And he was somebody who um, was there for my, my myself and my brother, you know, after my father passed away, really close friends with my father. So it was mm -hmm. a whole network of, of incredible of incredible people who, who really, really uh, aided me and informed me about what right. you were talking about, the culture and, and the music. Right.
So Carvin sits you down at the drums and gets you working on what? Uh, You know, first things, it was, you know, trying to get me to to read. So it was like syncopation. Uh, Mm. I think we used three books. Syncopation, uh, Wilcoxon, you know, rudimental swing solos, and um, Chapin. Yeah. And those were the books that we used. And he was like, once you deal with this, you're going to be, you'll be able to navigate you know, when you get a chart in front of you, or something like that. Right. Yeah. And yeah. He, that's been, you know, he, he was like, you'll be, you'll have the tools to be able. And he was like, and then after that, it's like, you're going to start seeing certain phrases over and over again. You're like, oh, okay, I know what that, what that is. Now you don't even mm-hmm. have to, you know, think about it. It's like, you know, it'd be like riding a bike. So it was, it was just the experience and just kind of giving me the basics. And then from that, like you said, it was like the majority of my, I studied with him for about five or six years. And the majority of my lessons, I'd say I was dealing with the drums the first year or two. And then after that, it was majorly like it was it was more like a lecture <laughs> Yeah. after that. But I mean, but the incredible, though, I learned, I mean, like, to, you know, because then I had started traveling and stuff. I had started working and I was in school and doing other things. But he was like, I mean, the advisement that I got from him was like, <laughs> it, it was it was the type of insight that you can't get from somebody who hasn't done it. Mm-hmm. And I think that as you find yourself teaching and things of that nature, you find that there's a lot of um, people giving out information about experiences that they don't have. So it, it, it kind of invalidates it to a, to a certain degree to me. You know, right. I'm like, well, I don't know if that's actually applicable. <laughs> in the, you know what I'm saying? In the real, you yeah. know, but it's, it's kind of like, that's what I'm saying. It's like in theory. But it, but it's right. like no, but you have to you have to. It's like so. It's like a hypothesis. It's like something. It could yeah. be like this. Yeah. But you know, you have to be in it. You know. That's so interesting because you know Carvin, um, I think, can be somewhat of a polarizing figure. Like not every student is going to jive with Carvin's whole style. Um, and an, another teacher who is like that is somebody I've studied with a bit, uh, Dave Elich, um, mm-hmm. and. They they both have, um, you know, the conviction of someone who knows from experience and they don't always express that very diplomatically. <laughs> right. Like right. they don't have time. They don't give a fuck. They know in their bones that what they're saying is true because they've done it. They've experienced it. They've you yeah. know, they've put it into practice. It's not just in theory. Uh, you know, everybody has their way you know mm-hmm. and i and i know that i was talking to um somebody the other day and we were just talking about how we were raised in comparison to how we're raising our children you know like corporal punishment type thing now my, my parents weren't you know they weren't heavy into it but i got a couple of very memorable spankings <laughs> 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 in my life that you know Kind of, but, but it was like the fear of certain things made me be like, okay. And I don't think it was the most horrible thing, to be quite honest, right? Mm-hmm. Now, my son hasn't had any of that. I, he's a great kid and all that, but I don't know. But then there's still some things I'm like, I wonder if we had tightened him up a little bit earlier. Just <laughs> things that were like, just you know, certain things that were just in play. But I was like, okay, we'll see how it plays out. But you, but you also don't want to terrorize your kids, right? You know, sure. and I feel like that, 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 um, that habit of doing of of doing that to your kids and i i feel like that 
that wasn't only black families or, you know, Dominican family. It was white families too. Everybody, it was like a generational thing. Everybody was getting yeah. ass with, right? You know what I mean? And it's, <laughs> <laughs> to a certain degree, I mean, to a certain degree, you know what I'm saying? I yeah. mean, like there was some, there was somewhere it was like in that other area that where it's, it's never cool, where it's, where it's abusive. But I think in most of the instances that I, you know, was, you know, could see as a, as a kid and one, and it was more like, you know, just parents trying to make sure that they, that, you, that you were safe and that you weren't mm-hmm. doing um, doing anything stupid that was gonna that you were gonna kill yourself or harm yourself, you know. Right. Um, mostly it, it was it was like that. For my parents, it was like that. You know, anytime mm-hmm. I got tightened up, it was like, well, this is because if you go down this path and shit, you know, it's gonna be a whole another reality for you. Well, that's that's that you that you definitely don't want to participate in. <laughs> right. <laughs> you, you right. Know? And so, like, musically, I, I'm just thinking of Carvin, because, like, you know, musically, in the context of a lesson, he he can and will, like, clap back go. at you about something. But <laughs> right? I mean, I, I think that's good, too, because it's cause yeah. I, I feel like it's, it's, like, it's about being an adult. You know what I mean? Like, you know, too many times, like, you come into this thing, we're, we're now the culture, like, I'll say the culture, I'll say, like, the culture that exists in America, at least, it's so, like okay, we're all equal, no, every the participation thing. No, you tried your hardest. And sometimes that's like just bullshit. You didn't try your hardest and you lost. <laughs> you right. know what I'm saying? Sometimes that's yeah. the reality of shit. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Or sometimes you did try your hardest and you lost. And that's okay too. That shit happens. Like yep. that's, in, that's real. You don't always win. You don't, it's not always like, yeah, okay. It's not always all sunny outside. The sun's not always yep. out. So when you have to... Um, deal with somebody who has that type of conviction it makes you step up about your conviction you know what i'm saying in a way that people will respect you you know like if you it's like it's like um if you have an interaction with a bully or something like that you know it's always like until you step up to the bully you're terrified but then once you step up you're like oh okay i just had to speak up for myself and then it was cool I mean, for mm-hmm. the most part, you know what I'm saying. Sometimes it's like a whole nother fiasco, but I'm saying I'm equating that because I'm not saying that Michael was a bully or my father was a bully or Mac was a bully, but they had aspects in their personality that were like they were going to test you, right, <laughs> to see right. what you were going to do. They were going to yes. be like, "What are you going to do? Are you thinking? Because shit is real out here, and if you're not thinking, then." All the stuff that we've been talking about has been a waste. If you're gonna yeah. crumble under under the pressure for me, because when you get out there, it's gonna be a whole. It's gonna be somebody who doesn't really care about you. I care about you. Now I'm coming at you hard, but I care about you. They don't even care about you, and they're gonna right. be trying all kinds of ways to undermine your stuff or to you know, uh, malign to malign your character and so forth. And you have to be strong within yourself. So when you're around those strong people, it makes you be strong with your stuff. That's the way I that's the way I dealt with it. You know, you have yeah, somebody, absolutely. oh, it's okay. Everything's gonna be all right. But then you get out there and somebody challenges you and you don't know how to, to deal with that. Yeah. You're stuck. And with with a teacher like Carvin or Elich or, you know, even a guy like Peter Erskine or whatever, like if if you can't withstand the um uh I don't know, like the force of their conviction in the context of their teaching. Like if you can't withstand that and absorb it, you're not going to get the best out of them as a teacher. Precisely. 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 I mean, you know, so like you said, it's, it's, it's a different, not everybody can, can hang, but uh, for me, it was incredible, (laughs) you know, (laughs) 
I, and he was, uh, um, I mean, I thank him all the time. I mean, I don't thank him, but I'm just in, in my in my actions, hopefully, and what I do and, and how I carry myself and the interactions that I have with the people. And here I'm hoping, like, I'm carrying his legacy along my father and Max every time I hit the bandstand. Mm-hmm. You know, those are the people who, who taught me how to approach uh, this music. Yeah. So in terms of this music, you know, jazz is obviously an improvisational art form. Um, but one of the things that I learned from Carvin that I've been thinking about a lot lately in, in this gig that I'm doing is the idea of um, reciting something. Like Carvin, we, we were at the Blue Room in Kansas City and it was with his group. His group was performing um, and... I think he asked his tenor player, I forgot who it was, um, but they, they they do this ballad um, mm-hmm. and he had his tenor sax player um, basically play, I think he had him play the, the solo that he played on their record. Like right. he laid down this solo on the record and Carvin is like, that's a beautiful solo. I want you to play that every time. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I think there, like, you know, maybe the guy expressed some resistance, like, no, I want to improvise. And Carvin was like, no, that is a beautiful, it's a beautiful solo. I want you to recite that solo every mm-hmm. time. Um, so this idea of like, you know, preparing and reciting something um, in jazz, in this improvisational art form was totally new to me and kind of anathema, right? Um but I think it's it's something that doesn't get cultivated enough in jazz and in music in general, like going in deep on a certain thing many, many times. Um, is this a concept that you covered with him or that you think about or? I mean, I don't know if we if we talked about it in that regard. And it's also been, you know, over 30 years since I studied with him. So I don't yeah. retain, I will pretend to retain all, right. all of the, all of the gems that he, that he laid on me. But, um, there was always a, um, a certain type of understanding that repetition can act as a, a cohesive <laughs> type of mechanism that can reach people in a certain yeah. way. You know, yeah, like yeah. sometimes I think, and that can also and reach people not only like audience sense, but also like group sense, you know, like just mm-hmm. giving some type of a bonding agent, uh, so to speak. And and that can um, have some very uh, high resonating spiritual uh, qualities as, as well. Yeah. So yeah. so that that definitely was communicated, you know, from him. So that's an I, interesting I, point about about the spiritual aspect of it because you know any anything you repeat kind of becomes a mantra. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like you, you, you listen to some of those, like you know, some of that any any type of um, something that has that type of repetitive drone type of thing where they're just repeating a phrase over and over. But if they do it for about thirty minutes <laughs> and you're in it. Ooh, it's like yeah. the energy can, and can be like incredible, you know, yeah. and that's something that can be, I think in our music, sometimes it gets so like 
you know, complex and I'm going to do this to showcase this and then this is going to go here and that's going to go there, that it's 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 so analytical as opposed yeah. to being like uh, emotional, yeah. you know? It, like, it, it can lose some of the emotional content when it's just so uh, connected to the, to the like, I'm going to impress these people with this and this <laughs> and this, or I'm going to, you know, it's like, then it, it you know, which probably, which repetition generally doesn't, um, it doesn't encourage that type of response. It you not know, only but, doesn't encourage it, it forces you to set it aside. Yeah, it's like it makes you to get it. It kind of let makes you let stuff go and get in it. Yes. You know what I mean? It's like okay, you let all this go and stuff, and you have to start dedicating your like your other the other uh, aspects of your being. You know what I'm saying? Outside of like yeah. okay, you know that the computer stuff and when you have to kind of it starts getting into the bones. Right. <laughs> you know, it right. starts getting into the bones. You know, and so so that could be um, a component of what's he, what he's what he's doing with with that. You mm-hmm. know. Yeah. I mean, but there's, there's something now that yeah. I'm thinking about it, now that I'm thinking about it, he, he might have done that, um, specifically for that horn player. Person. Like it wasn't, it, could, yeah. it wasn't just it could, a thing that he wanted exactly. to express from the bandstand. It was like, this guy needs this needs process. That. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it could, it could, cause he's always a, te- he's always a teacher, you know what yeah. I mean? So yeah. that could be, and it's, it's like when you get in those situations where it's something that you wouldn't do, sometimes it's good to challenge yourself to do it, you yeah. know? Yep. Life is life is short. You never know. I know I had somebody to do that. Ex- there. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 no. I was just saying. We know people who have done like some gigs that were um, where they're playing a solo every night and whatnot, but they're getting paid very well to do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You never know. That could be a, that could be in a, in a, in another type of way preparing him for that experience. You never know. Yep. You know and what it, it prepared I mean, me because I I played in this group. It was like a retro swing group when I lived in L.A. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, we did that tune Topsy, um, where uh, Cozy Cole played that great drum solo. So um, the band leader Mondo, um, you know, he sent me this tune list and stuff to listen to, and I listened to Topsy, and I was like, so for this drum solo, um, do you want it? Um, you know, am I am I like free to improvise a solo, or do you want it more kind of in in this vibe? And he, this was in text, and he responded, "No, I want it exactly like that." <laughs> right. Like, oh, and okay. I was like, "Shit, okay." And and at first, you know, like like Carvin's sax player, <clears throat> you know, I I kind of bucked against it. I didn't buck right. to the band leader, but inwardly, right, I was right. like, "Man, fuck, right. I want to I want to improvise. I don't want to do the same shit every night." Um, but I transcribed the solo and I learned it and I memorized it and I played it on every single gig with that band. And, and guess what? The crowd fucking loved it every time. (laughs) (laughs) He knew something, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. That could be, that could be, I mean, I think that, that, that's, it's all a learning process and that's, it's, um, I think getting an opportunity to do, you know, things that are outside of your, your normal are 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 really good in expanding your you know your palette you know of things that yeah. you can do or things that you can accept or things you're like oh okay the more you experience the more you're like oh actually i, I can i get i'm getting something out of this you know what yeah. i'm saying you're like oh I'm, i didn't think i was going to get something out of it because i didn't want it was kind of rubbing up against my whatever i whatever principles i had or whatever but then you're like oh wait a minute actually this is this is useful 
Yeah, I'm experiencing that uh, to an extreme these days because I'm I'm on tour with Ain't Too Proud, which is the the Temptations musical. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, so like I'm playing the same show every night, like mm-hmm. not not note for note, but pretty close. <laughs> right, um, right. So you know this this idea, this Carvin idea of reciting the thing every night. Yes, yeah. is, is my father my had head. to do that. He he was playing with Motown. I'm sorry to cut you off. He was he was no, in no. Motown because when you said "Ain't Too Proud to Beg," I was like, "Oh, that that's right in line with um, the experience that my father had as an early musician because he played with the Motown Review. He went on the road with them. He was in the studio. You know, he was on. So with with uh, was it with Jimmy Ruffin? Like he 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 was he came in through Martha Reeves and the Vandellas. He he played okay. on he played on Dancing in the Streets. He wow. played on. Uh, Ain't too proud to beg, um, Marvin Gaye. He played on um, Fingertips, Stevie Wonder, uh-huh. um, and then he did the review uh, a bit. Like he went on tour, and he said that was, he said that was the most grueling road experience he ever had. Imagine, right? But he was playing those shows, like, and the show consisted of about four or five acts. So it would be like Martha Reeves and the Vandellas, Marvin Gaye, the Supremes. Um, uh, maybe somebody else and you know and then they would do that like four or five times a day yeah i mean the, you know, the temps the temps might have been part of that right and the temps were probably part of that or like the yeah. four tops or someone like that sure yeah yeah you know so it was like and they would do that and he was like the road was brutal and he, and he was like and they would but he would have to play parts basically because it was the same yep. you know it was like it was a show yep you know so he was like you know he locked it in played the played the groove from the record, you know, the same way, basically same film, you know, kind of had to do it like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I liked what you said about like developing your palette, like by, by doing a specific way, uh, by doing a specific thing the same way every night, like in, in one sense, it puts you in a box, but in another sense, it, it, um, there's all this nuance in every, every single thing you can do. Definitely. You find, you find like deeper and deeper and smaller and smaller sort of variations that you then mm-hmm. put in your, in your, you know, toolbox. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's, it's all, a, you know, it's like a flavoring, you know, some of those flavorings are a little bit more delicate. You have to like lean in a little bit more to, to, to taste them. The last thing I wanted to ask you about uh, was um, the time you spent in Atlanta at Morehouse College, um, because like you didn't study music there; you studied what was it, engineering or something? <laughs> no, it was a like history and psychology. Oh shit! Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I thought engineering. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but I'm I'm curious about like you know obviously you didn't uh, you didn't go down that path. But um, I'm curious about the time you spent at an HBCU at that time in your life um, and how, you know, even, even though you didn't go down that professional path, um, you know, coming from New York to the South um, to an HBCU, like how did that inform sort of your, your uh, formation as a, a young adult? Oh, it was transformative, you know, mm-hmm. to be quite honest. Um, Once I got there, because <laughs> I had never been in, in a just in a in a in a situation where it was primarily 
black folks. You know, I was, grew mm-hmm. up in New York. We grew up in the West Village. It was always, you know, we were always in there, in the, uh, at least in numbers in terms of that culturally and like racially speaking. So that was like, that was a, that was a, a great feeling to, to feel that kind of, you know, that kind of uh, empathy and support, you know, just with mm-hmm. your experience as a person on this, on this planet. You know, some people right. kind of dealing with it the same way you were. Um, or being seen the same way that you were being seen by other people. Yeah. Uh, and then just the information that was being dropped from the professors was like, it, it was an eye opening, changed my life. You know, it was, you know, because up until that point, and I went to some great schools, you know, I guess I had some great teachers, you know, but up until that point, the information that I received in school was one that was primarily like Eurocentric in its in its scope, like in terms of like, you know, the civilization started in Greece, you know, that that type of thing. You know, right, I mean? it was right. like very like, you know, no, no, no context for like, you know, Ethiopia or Egypt or Imhotep or any of these other great uh, kingdoms and so forth. And that existed on the continent of Africa or any or anywhere else other than Europe. Right. <laughs> you know, they weren't talking about China or any of that either. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it was like, it was so eye-opening, you know, just to and get some of these books that were written by some, you know, Chancellor Williams and, and uh, George Johnson and George Jackson, pardon me, like Stolen Legacy, you know, listen, listen and just learning about, you know, world history, like the real world history. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, oh, which gives you some like uh, some pride, you know, just because we are living in such a, a racialized society, it gives you uh, a stronger sense of yourself. You know, I mean, I came mm-hmm. from a, yeah, yeah. A, a good a good family. So, I mean, I was educated about some of these things, but you're not really educated about it until you're like reading about it, you know? So I had yeah. learned about things, but you know, until you're reading about all this, it was, it was, um, it was, it was so eye opening. And then the community of people like down there, everybody was partying and having a great time. But the people that I were with, it was like, if you had a, a final coming up, you know, or you had a paper due, then you wouldn't see cats for about three or four days. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, cats would be yeah. like, Oh no, 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 I can't. You know, like, well, the big party tonight. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm going to the library. I'm going to be, you know, it was like that. So everybody's and everybody supported each other in that. It was like, yo, wait, don't you have something happening? Nah, G, don't hang to take care of your take care of your business. Everybody was trying to to be is to succeed in that. Everybody was supporting each other in that, like for real. Even at that young age, 18, 19 years old, everybody was was like very much like, yo, let's have a good time. It was definitely good times, great. But also like take care of your business. You know, so again, that that theme of like, there's always, you know, that, uh, you know, uh, freedom or responsibility type of push and pull that happens all all throughout our our conversation, but just all throughout life. It's always about that. It's like, yo, have a good time. But if you're having too much fun, you ain't taking care of your business, then it stops being a good time. (laughs) You know what I mean? You have to have some balance, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned like the the community of that school, um, and uh, it it made me think of um, uh, I read I read that book uh, Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates, mm-hmm. and um, there's a part where he he describes attending Howard University in D.C. 
Um, and he talks about how, like, you know, gr- growing up in Baltimore, he had a very limited idea of how blackness could be expressed, right? right. It was just kind of what he was used to. And then he got to Howard and he saw all these different ways, right. all these different expressions of blackness. And, right, and none of right. them were right or wrong or good or bad. It was just like, holy shit, he, he had no idea right. that blackness could be expressed in all these different ways. Right. Well, you know, I think maybe I had an idea about that because New York is a really diverse city. And you sure. get to, and then my father traveled all around. You know, he was a musician, so he was in touch with a lot of... So I feel like I was exposed to certain things, but, but not in that way. You know, so mm-hmm. I, I kind of had that same experience. For me, it was probably more like a... Um, regional type thing like there were these there were these like there was cats from dc that hung there were cats from detroit there were cats from (laughs) chicago there were cats from la that hung you know now we were kind of like the like the uh the the hodgepodge cast because we had guys cats from seattle la you know jersey new york we were all together just like we were like the the misfits (laughs) (laughs) but but they were like definitely like flicks of folks that from different areas of the country and they all had their slang everybody had their little little things that they did that let you know that that's where they were from and they took pride in that you know it was yeah. almost like a, a a tribal type of type of thing and whatnot in that sense that's the way it felt to me like we all right. part of the same collective but within that there's like these different uh dialects and whatnot being spoken and different certain types of twists on similar things that let you know that now nah, this is like a detroit thing now nah, this yeah. is like a you know, this is the North Carolina thing. I'm not, you know, everybody has that, and it was, uh, it was great. It was great because it was, it was, you know, it was just eye opening to like be like. It just made you want to go to those places and experience yeah, I, those, those different areas. I've had a um, a similar experience. I mean, as as similar as I can have as a 42 year old white guy. But I lived in <laughs> I've lived in Atlanta for seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, before I grew up in New Mexico where there are no black people. Um, and then I went to, you know, Kansas City, which is a fairly segregated city in many ways. You know, I lived in L.A. for five years, which is sort of partitioned off. Everybody has their their own right. neighborhood. Um, but I got to Atlanta and, you know, like uh, like a young ta I think I had a limited idea of what blackness is and the, all the different ways it can be expressed. And I'm still sort of like expanding my idea about that, but getting to Atlanta and just seeing all the different versions of blackness, I was like, Oh wow. There, this, this contains multitudes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's the same way with every, um, you know, sector of society, every different, you know, it's like when you go to, you know, it's like when you go to Europe or you go to Germany or something like that. When you're in Munich, this different feeling than when you're in berlin or when you're in you know uh cologne or something like that you know it's it's different you yeah. know it's like or if you're somewhere like in france and you're on the border of of you know germany and france and one of them shit is like you're like oh is this germany mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. you're like, they're like no you're like oh, okay well then, and then there's like a, like a you know it's like a the closer you get the more influence from the other country you get you know and vice versa right you know, if you're like in Portugal or something, you know, so it's, I feel like it's, it's all around the world. You know, it's like a global phenomena that you experience. Like that happened at Morehouse too, because then uh, one, of, one of our good friends was um, from uh, Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. And we were like, oh, okay. So it was like, you know, kind of opening up into an international thing, you know? Yeah. 
so where you're like, oh, okay. So you have similarities, but then there are these differences, and that's what makes everything so rich. That's what makes everybody's experience so rich. You know, it wasn't mm-hmm. like you wanted to be like, oh, I don't definitely don't. It was more like, for me at least, it's the traveling. That's something that traveling, you know, kind of reinforces. It's just like the fact that there's so much incredible, so many incredible cultures of one out here and, and, and expressing themselves in so many incredible ways. It's like, um, why would you want to... Diminish anybody's uh, ability to to be able to um, to live uh, an incredible life. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And if yeah, that, yeah. If that, even if that meant them coming to your country and whatnot, to do, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, right. But uh, that that gets into some something else. But but um, yeah, yeah. Those 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 experiences down there were were incredible. How did it change? Like, so having had this experience at Morehouse and in Atlanta, um, when you returned to New York and sort of embarked on this musical path, how did it change the lens through which you viewed New York or, or viewed yourself? Um, you know, as a city, New York is, is a little harder just just the nature of it like and you know mm-hmm. like there's a lot of people kind of in a, in a with more people in a, in a smaller space just even even just dealing with that aspect of it so i remember <laughs> i think in atlanta you know and i was young too so we were kind of like i think i might have been experimenting with being a vegetarian or something like that or not eating meat or something which is mm-hmm. which i would like to return to maybe as I get older, I could be at that particular time. I was really thin, you know, when I moved back up to New York, I remember just not feeling like I had the energy, you know, and I was, you know, I was, I had a lot, I had more responsibilities and stuff like that, but I was still like, I didn't feel like I was, you know, like getting up the trap. I felt like I was getting pushed around <laughs> yeah. by, the, by the city. You know what I mean? Just by the, yeah. the pace of it. I was like, Oh, oh it was kind of catching me. Like, you know, of course, Atlanta's slower, you know what I'm saying? Just, sure. it just, I wasn't used to that, that it was, it was, I wasn't, it, it took me a little bit, but even though I'm a native New Yorker, that time down there, it kind of like took me out of it. And I had went to high school in Bucks County. So I was, you know, I wasn't as used to like that everyday kind of right. like feeling of the city that'd be like on you, <laughs> you know? And I remember Michael said to me, he said, man, you need to eat some meat. <laughs> and I was like, he was like, and I was like, maybe I should. And then he was right because I did that. I was like, oh, so maybe it was like an iron thing, you know? It was probably something. <laughs> and I and I investigated, but it was like I needed to, like you know, I needed to get a little stronger. Yeah, you know? yeah. Just and I remember just, Carvin and, telling me. I, I asked Carvin like, what's it like to live in New York? And he was like, everybody who lives in New York has a gorilla suit hanging by the front door. <laughs> and he said, before you walk out your front door, you put on that gorilla suit so you can go deal with New York. And then you come back to your apartment and you take off the gorilla suit and you hang it up. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. That's what I'm saying. That is a great way to put it. That's you, Exactly. You kind of have to like, that's what I'm saying, just to navigate from every day. Like, oh, I got I to get on the train to go. It's like just dealing with that is yeah can be you know you have to have a certain type of fortitude and strength or something like that and i was i kind of was lacking that it was almost like you know atlanta even i was watching some like this hip-hop documentary the other day 
and they were talking about like how cats had got into some stuff in in LA and they got into stuff in New York and they went to Atlanta and that was like the that was like where the peace happened you know what I'm saying mm -hmm. so they were talking about like Jermaine Dupree and them cats and the type of music they were doing it wasn't like all gangstered out or whatever it was more like fun or party oriented or whatever you know yeah, li yeah. lighter in content and that was like where Snoop and them cats and everybody went for a little while to kind of like cool out when the stuff <laughs> you know got 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 to got to you know when it when it was when it was when the gangster stuff was a little bit was was, was too heavy it was mm -hmm. too much in the mix in a direct way you know even though it's part of it you know intertwined but you know it was like okay cats had to you know and that was they, they were talking about atlanta as like the place for so it kind of was like that for me too it was like a place where it was it was more fun loving you know it made me feel like if i could equate it to anything it'd be like you know the feeling was like you know tribe called quest uh I left my wallet at El Segundo. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It was like yeah. that's now this now I'm showing my age, but it was like that was like, you know, it was like we'd be going out backpacks all day hanging. You know, it was like very <laughs> it was like teenagers, even though we're like young adults, but it was still like teenager ish. Right. You know, like yeah. the You're type of you know Yeah, we're in school, like straight up in school, like right kids almost. Like, you know, transitioning yeah. to adults, but still kinda like kiddish in a way, you know? Mm -hmm. And um you know, but with like, you know, kind of wanting to do adult stuff and, you know, about to be on the cusp of doing it. So it, it had that feeling for me, you know, it was very much like, you know, exper experiment and just like, yeah, what's happening? Fun loving. But then it was also like, it still had that, you know, that pulse of like, you're here to take care of business. This isn't just like a party. <laughs> yeah. And it's, you know? it's interesting. Like, as you're talking about this, I'm I'm thinking about my experience in Atlanta, and and it's it's a it's a very easy place to be yourself. I found mm -hmm. like it mm -hmm. doesn't it doesn't beat you up very much. It doesn't push you around very much. It kind of gives you the space to just like be and be okay with yourself. But then the the flip side of that is you know a place like New York or a place like L.A. will then test it. It's like okay, are you really yourself? Can you right, really exactly. withstand the onslaught of all this bullshit and remain yourself, not get yeah. swallowed up by the city or not get swallowed up by your own insecurity or, or any of right. that? Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. But it was, it was, um, I don't know, it was an amazing experience for me. I wasn't trained for anything. It was incredible. Well, man, it was it was great talking with you. Good luck with uh, these travels with Christian. Um, the the music is kick ass. The record is kick ass. Um, and uh, I hope I hope people come see you. Yeah, yeah. Likewise, like it's been it's been good so far. But everybody everybody's been coming out and uh, checking it out. So thank you for taking your time, Zach. And I'm sorry about the laugh. Um, mixed up with the when I just oh no you like <laughs> you, you don't have to be sorry I am sorry that was that was so like what what happened what had happened was um, this <laughs> this microphone that I'm talking into was locked up in a in a fucking vault case on a truck oh <laughs> like got I, you. I should have taken it with me from the last city I should have had it in my luggage but I threw it in this case and forgot to get it out and. Uh, so yeah, that was that was pure travel logistics fail no, on, on my part. So we had to all reschedule. No, <laughs> no, yeah, no. Thank I mean, you I for your flexibility, man. No, man. Likewise, likewise. All good. Right on. Be well, man. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, man. Take care. 
There you go. Thanks to Nasheet Waits for that talk. Hope you dug that. His recordings with New John and many, many others are available wherever you get music. And be on the lookout for him coming to jazz clubs and festivals near you. Next week, Matt Krause will be talking with Andy Hull, Nashville touring and session veteran, currently working with Clint Black. Hope you check that out. Until then, stay safe, stay sane, and thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.